Next week, I will be unpacking this new series called Thread Letters. Uh, a lot of people feel like they're hanging by a thread these days. But if you're hanging by one single thread, as long as it's the right thread, you are going to be okay. And we're going to unpack one of the most common threads in all of Scripture, probably the most said phrase in the history of time, the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to take seven weeks and unpack the Lord's Prayer. And I want to say to you right now, I want you to lean in right at the offset. When we start this series next week, week number one, when we talk about our Father, it is going to be a very easy invite for you to bring a friend with you. I'm going to lay out the message of salvation, and a lot of people have daddy issues. We're going to talk about what it really means to hang by the thread of knowing that God is our true heavenly father. So I hope you don't miss a single week of that. We'll launch. We're supposed to launch that today, but in the middle of the week, I made a call to the team, and I said, I I'm going to, I'm going to call an audible and I'm going to change something. On Monday night, I had some friends over at the house. I gave a little devotion. And it was out of that devotion that I just had kind of came to my heart that day that as I processed that on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I felt like, you know what? I think God is, is inviting me to share that devotional and turn that into a message for Timber Creek, not just for a small group of friends that were hanging out on a Monday night. So that's what you're going to get today. Let's jump right into it uh, the Bible is, is broken down into five major acts. You know, like Back to the Future has three major movies. The Bible has five major acts. <laughs> you have act one, the garden, perfect place. God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, but they reject perfection. They reject God's voice. They reject God's word, and brokenness comes into the picture, act two. He begins to show us his perfect love by wooing a generation, wooing a nation, the nation of Israel. From Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's carving out a nation, and he's showing us how in community we're to approach God and how they could not do it on their own. As many, uh, 600 plus laws to follow, they still could not follow God perfectly. Act three, God becomes man, God in the flesh. And he scoops up the most valuable treasure in heaven and he pours it out on us. And Jesus, completely divine and completely human, he shows us how to live and he takes on the perfect life because you could not. He takes on sin because it kills you, but he was killed for you. He was sacrificed for you to cover your sin and not just cover it, but to wash it away. And then he dies, raises again, ascends into heaven, preparing a place for you. You don't prepare it. Everybody thinks that if I do enough good works, I'm gonna prepare my place. You don't make it. He prepares a place for you. Act four, the church. The body of Christ representing the hands and feet of Jesus is birthed in the, in the book of Acts and in the first century. And now we are living in part four of a five-part story of God and man. Now, part five is a new garden, and it's going to come full circle. He's going to wrap a bow around everything, and someday there's going to be new heavens and new earth, and we're going to be in the garden again with God forever. But today, we're not going to talk about the ministry of Jesus or the church, the act we're living in. We're going to back up into that part two, that act two, the nation of Israel. God chooses a nation to uh, show them how to get to God and how they fail and the ups and the downs and the victories and the defeats. And the very first king in Israel, King Saul, is uh, on a military campaign. 
He has his son with him, Jonathan. He's the very first king uh, of the nation of these 12 confederate tribes, the ragamuffin group of vagabond warrior mercenary guerrillas. It's not really like everybody's marching the same. They all, they just kind of look more like Braveheart than they do, you know, the Air Force. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that we pick up the story we're going to unpack today. King Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him, and 1,000 were with Jonathan. And the rest of the men, they must have felt pretty good about their current situation. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. In other words, we got this, boys. Have you ever been in a situation where you said, I can do it? myself, or I think I got it handled, or I don't need any help, and you were too proud to ask for help. Well, I don't know if that's the exact situation here, because they still have a th- uh, 2,000 and 1,000, but they send all the rest of the warriors home, and they're in a military campaign. Little do they know that things going to get a little crazy in the very next scripture, because verse 5 the Philistines, the number one enemy of Israel all throughout the story, the number one enemy besides themselves, they were really a good enemy to themselves. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Uh-oh, Saul had a little miscalculation. Now, if you're struggling with how to view Saul's army compared to the Philistines. Let me go back into my own childhood to Mike Tyson's punch out to give you a good little chart. Okay? That's the Philistines. That's Saul's army. Okay? Mike Tyson's the Philistines. Little Mac is Saul's army, and he's up against a major foe. Sure enough, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical... And that their army was hard-pressed, you think? They hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. I wonder what our reaction is when we are faced with the enemy. The enemy has many different faces for us. When we're faced with that feeling of insurmountable pain that's come in that marriage... The financially, we're stuck because I don't have time to even look for another job. And the job that I have is not, there is more month left at the end of the money. And I don't know what to do. And I feel stuck. And I, many times people can simply hide from it. And they run away from it. I wonder if any of us are in a hole right now. Not because we've fallen in it, but because we're hiding from something. And sure enough, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking. Listen to that vernacular, quaking with fear. They weren't just like, whew, stressed out. The word quaking is more often associated with the earth trembling. The earth, like an earthquake. They are quaking with fear. Now, I wanna, I wanna tell you that um, it sounds bad now, it sounds bad now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but trust me, it gets worse, <laughs> okay? It gets even worse. We continue the story. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. They are going to surround the Israelis. It gets worse. 
Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. And it's not because blacksmiths were like forging some kind of hammer for Thor. (laughs) It's because blacksmiths were critical in that society because they made the weapons. Now, why why is there not a blacksmith to be found? Because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So they had enslaved or slit the throat of every single blacksmith. That's pretty strategic ninja Philistine stuff right there. I got an idea. (laughs) So we go from bad to worse to devastating. Because on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So you're talking about a story in a real monarchy that really took place and this, this nation represented by this, these people out in the wilderness here, they are outnumbered and under-resourced and overwhelmed and uncertain and very afraid. And if anything 2020 has taught us, we can feel outnumbered and under-resourced, overwhelmed, you bet uncertain. We are addicted to certainty. We are addicted to it. It's why we have a hard time trusting God because we've got to be certain. And God is God and you are not. And there's going to be uncertainty. It's called living in faith. But we have this very afraid situation where the Israelites are quaking shaken in their military boots. Now, it's not in your notes, but I invite you to write this down somewhere. There will always be a good reason not to step out in faith. There is always a good reason for you to listen to conventional wisdom and hedge your bets when it comes to putting your faith in an almighty, omniscient, omnipotent God. It may not always be logical to put your trust and your hope and your next foot in front of the next when it comes to following Jesus. It may not even be logical. Conventional wisdom says if you're going to feed 5,000 people, you go to Sam's Club. But Jesus says it's not conventional wisdom. Bring me that kid's lunchbox. It's not conventional wisdom for David, a teenage boy who arrives late on the battlefield, and for 40 days, Goliath has been giving yo mama jokes to the Israelites, and David steps out there on the battlefield, and he doesn't even have a weapon. He's got a slingshot, but he's got no rocks. He goes to the brook, and five little stones he picks up, and it's not conventional wisdom. It's conventional wisdom to dress up like the king and get the armor and have the battalion and the catapults and the fiery arrows. That's conventional wisdom, but God says, I can do do more with one stone than you can do with a battalion. There's always a good reason not to step out in faith. Always a good reason. And I want you to know that sometimes, now listen, 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 Linda, listen. (laughs) I'm not saying, like, just be stupid, okay? Like some of you, I just stepped out in faith and and married her, you know? Just stepped out in faith, met her, met her at the craps table in Vegas, and the chapel was right there. It was a sign from God. <laughs> no! 
And I know, I know I'm her 11th, but still. What? Like, I'm not saying throw away conventional wisdom. I'm just saying sometimes conventional wisdom is what's keeping you from a miracle. Conventional wisdom usually says hold a grudge because I'm not gonna get hurt again. Conventional wisdom says don't forgive because if I forgive, I'm gonna be set up for them to hurt me again. Conventional wisdom says I am done. There's no way this marriage could recover, so I'm gonna just, God just wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Conventional wisdom says be happy. Our, our dream for America is life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Yeah, and taxes apparently. But the pursuit of happiness. And God is saying, Despite conventional wisdom of your pursuits, can you trust me in the middle of your craziness, in the middle where it doesn't feel like you should step out in faith? It would be easier to hide in a hole. So how does God work here? Because if we're ever living in a day of uncertainty, it is right now. If there's ever been a, a situation where confidence has been challenged, courage is under attack, it's right now. So the question I wanna pose today that really catapults us into the rest of this morning's message is this question I'm asking myself, I wanna ask you, let's consider it today. The question is this, what does it look like to live with less certainty and more confidence all at the same time? How do you live within that paradox? Because faith in Jesus is inviting you to have many a moment of less certainty. I don't know who, what's gonna, what the future's gonna look like, but more confidence in the one who holds the future. I don't know what it's gonna look like to step out, but I'm gonna get out of the boat because Jesus is there and I'm going to walk toward him. What does it look like to live with less certainty and more confidence all at the same time? Well, thank you, Jesus, for your word. We don't have to sit around, run and find, trying to find God's will. I wanna, I wanna tell you, there's plenty of God's will, will already written in his word. Go there first. Go there first. Give me a sign, Lord, if she winks at me. It must be your will. Go to the word first. God, she completes me. No, 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 God is the one who's to complete you. Way too many marriages thinking they're gonna complete each other. You don't complete nothing. You gotta be whole yourself between you and Jesus. That's what you gotta be. So the rest of the story, thank you, Jesus, for the rest of this story that shows us how to live with less certainty and more confidence all at the same time. Now we enter into Jonathan, the son of the king. And one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, hey, what's up? Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. I wanna give you a few things that I believe show us what less certainty and more confidence look like just kind of scattered all throughout this, this story of courage. Number one, how do you live there? It looks like engaging urgency. It looks like engaging urgency. The rest of the army had settled in. They were okay with going into holes. Yes, they did not have a weapon. I get it. It makes sense. If I was up again, I would probably play hide and seek too and really just do more of the hiding than any of the seeking. 
I get why they are quaking with fear. But somebody in the middle of your fear, in the middle of the uncertainty, in the middle, you've got to remember who God says he is. And that you can step out and it takes a little bit of holy discontent, an unwillingness to be okay with, 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 with not knowing exactly what's going to happen, but trusting that God is my source and I'm going to step out and not stay static. Sometimes God needs, is desiring for you to simply get moving. We don't even see God show up in this story until somebody starts moving. There were four lepers at the city gate that was in famine, and they were going to die right there at the city gate. They had an enemy on the outside of the gate. They had the enemy because they were lepers, and they were outcast inside the gate. They were starving. They were cut away. It was famine that that the Syrians were placing upon them because they couldn't come in and out and get any food. And those four lepers, they engage urgency, and they say, if we stay here, we die. We've got to get out of here. And sure enough, when they took a step out of the city gates, God's miracle took place where it sounded like there was tons and tons of soldiers marching and the enemy that was camped outside those gates, they scattered. And those four little lepers found all the food. They ran back to the city, said, Ollie, 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 all's in free. The whole city was saved because they had a sense of urgency to step out from just eking away their existence at the city gate. And I wonder if some of you, you're just eking away your existence in that relationship. And God, I want more. And it's going to take some urgency. I'm going to fight for my marriage again. I'm going to fight for that relationship. I'm not going to let this unforgiveness and bitterness just wrap me up like a mummy. I'm, I'm going to engage urgency and step out and trust. And I don't even know what it looks like. And I might be scared to death. And I don't even got a sword in my hand. But I'm not going to stay in this hole anymore. God is inviting you. Come on now. It's time for you, for your family, for your own health, for your relationships with one another and with God himself. It's time to say, I can't stay here anymore. I can't stay here anymore. You know what that is? That is faith. But it's faith with feet. The author James says it like this. Faith without works is dead. Now, it's not works that get you saved. It's faith. It's it's grace by faith. But it is faith with feet that begins to build up your understanding of a God who is faith Jonathan engages urgency. He steps out with just his armor bearer. And it shows us the second part. What does it look like when, you, when, you can, when you're living in less certainty and more confidence all at the same time? Here's what it looks like. Number two, it looks like partnership. You were not designed to go solo in life. I'm not talking about everybody was designed to be married. That may not be God's will for everybody. It may not be. But you were never designed to go solo in life without people around you. It's why God himself reveals himself to us in the form of Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even the essence of God is in community. And he makes us in his image. All six days of creation, it's good day one, it's good day two, it's good day three, it's good day four, it's what, day five? Yeah, good job. You guys are brilliant. Brilliant. You better pick it up, Knack. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Day six, it's good. The very first thing God says, whoa, this ain't good. It's not good for man 
to be alone. We need partnership. We need partnership. But don't, 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 you know, easy now. Don't get ahead of me. We need partnership. But you know what? It looks like the right partnership. Because some of you, 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 oh yeah, you got partnership. <laughs> like with Satan's cousin, okay? I'm not talking about your spouse. Stop it. You got to think of them differently. You need the right partnership. It's not just about having a partner. It's having the right partner. Now, now look what happens in this story. Sometimes the right partner is not who you think it is. Sometimes the right partner isn't so, just so obvious because as the story goes on, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, okay, not to his, not to, not to Doc Holliday. You know, like if Jonathan's Wyatt Earp, his armor bearer ain't Doc Holliday. His armor bearer is like, you know, the 11-year-old kid mending the stable. It's the 11-year-old kid like dragging the armor for, for, arm, for, 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 for Jonathan. Okay, he's not like some kind of Israeli ninja assassin, He's just there to carry the stuff. Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Now, look at this interesting nugget. He didn't tell his father. He didn't tell his dad. Can I, can I just stop here and just say, be careful who you share your dreams with. There are people specifically designed to stomp on your dreams. Designed, like, not by God, by them. They just, careful who you share. Mary having been visited by an angel, did not go into geometry class the next day as a junior in high school and text like, you know, in a complicated relationship. She didn't go to her geometry class and say, guess who's pregnant by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, Mary pondered these things in her heart. She was careful with who she shared it with, even sharing it with Joe. Jo. Joey, he had a hard time. He was going to divorce her quietly. Thank God God showed up and said, no, 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 no. You got to trust your fiance here. There was another Joseph in the Bible who had a bunch of dreams, shared it with his brothers. It got him thrown in a well and into prison. Careful with who you share your dreams. But careful not to dream alone. Careful not to hold it all in by yourself. He didn't tell his father. Why, why didn't he tell his dad? dad his dad's got 2,000 men. In fact, look at the story. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree with an umbrella drink, you know, a little drink with an umbrella in his hand and Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah. Ahijah! <laughs> who was wearing an ephod. Now, ephod isn't like a special Nike Air. Uh, an ephod is, there's something special about that. If you don't understand the culture and you don't understand what this means within Jewish uh, God following, the ephod is very important. Only the priest, the high priest, was allowed to wear the ephod. The ephod was a garment that would go over the breastplate. And in the garment were, was, was a, almost like a, a kangaroo pouch. And within the kangaroo pouch there on the ephod was the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim. I did not say Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman was not in there. Urim and the Thummim. 
and it was, it was a Bronze Age replica of basically what we do when we flip a coin. It was the only way that, that they could come up with a solution if they were at an impasse. So the Urim and the Thummim were basically two rocks, and there's different, there's, there's different scholarly opinions about what they look like. But to help us understand, the most common was that like both were smooth, both felt like the exact same, but one had a dark tint to it and one had a light tint to it. And it would be yes or no questions. It was like a spiritual Israeli eight ball. It's what it was, but, but driven by God. It was a, a used by God. And so what would happen is uh, the king or anybody else would come up to the priest, go to the ephod, and they would say, should we attack today? The priest would come in and would pull out and drop the, the, the Urim or the Thummim. If it was the white rock, let's go. If it was the black rock, stop. And we did not quite have unity. It was the only way we would basically, heads or tails, do we attack? Now, notice, Jonathan wants to go to the Philistine outpost, and his dad has 600 men. He also has access to the answers of God right there. And I wonder how many of you, you have complete access to all the resources God has given you. You have access to hear from God, but you choose to more hide than engage. Jonathan realized, my armor bearer without any men but willingness to follow no matter what and step out there big, I've got a better chance here than a group of people that have access to God but aren't following God, aren't asking God, aren't seeking God. What does it look like to live with less certainty and more confidence at the same time? Number three, it doesn't look like more resources in your life. If I just have a little bit more time, I'll start serving in the church. If I have a little bit more money, I'll finally start giving to the local church. If, if, I, if I just am able to finally get married, then I can put my focus towards this. When we have enough money, we'll start having kids. <laughs> That's hilarious. It doesn't look like more resources to follow God. Here's what it looks like. It looks like risk. It looks like risk. You can't clean it up. You can't fix it. You, you can't get around life without it. You can, but you're gonna be in a hole all your life. God is not safe. He's, he's God. And he is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. But, but, but living for him doesn't mean every step you take will always be safe. Because as Jonathan begins to think through how I'm gonna go and attack the Philistines, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash the other to the south toward Geba. Anybody know where Michmash is? I don't either. Here's what's interesting about the cliff of Bozes and the cliff of despair. No, that's the princess bride. That's not this story. Sana and Bozes. Bozes meant thorny. 
Sina meant slippery. No matter what Jonathan is about to do, he is going to have to risk himself through exposure and only having his armor bearer with him, and he's going to go after the Philistines. And what his next is he's going to have to face some thorny landscape or some slippery landscape. There's not an easy decision. It's not going to be. Write it down. You can sanitize, I guess, your hands, but you cannot sanitize risk. You can sanitize school, you cannot sanitize risk. You can sanitize the house and the car, you cannot sanitize risk. There's gonna be some, thorn. I thought following God meant slow motion run through a field of buttercups and daisies and butterflies. No, read the, no, no. I got my three-year-old with me today, everybody. No, you're gonna face some thorns. And you're going to face some slippery things where just when you thought you had it, you're going to slip and you get stitches. You cannot sanitize risk. It requires an urgency, a partnership, the right partnership. And then when you step out there, it is messy and it's ugly and there's bruises to come. But you got to remember the God who got you to where you are is the God who's going to get you to the next place. And he is big and he's strong and he's mighty. And there's nothing my God cannot do. Whether there's 6,000 charioteers or not, Jonathan's got this sense that God's in this. So ask yourself the question, if what I know about God truly is true, that he is omniscient and omnipotent, that he's, that he's got my best interest at mind, even though I may go through thorny places and slippery places, ask yourself, what's my next risk? What's my next risk? I don't know what your next risk is, but I will tell you what your first step towards that next risk is. I may not be able to define exactly what it is for you, but I know what your next step looks like. Just write it down somewhere. It's not in your notes, but write it down. Trust God first. First. He, 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 is, he is all wound up with this whole first thing. Why? Like, like I mean, he is like just intense about this first thing because in the words of the prophet Ricky Bobby if you ain't first you're last it takes zero faith zero faith to put God last in your life it takes real faith to put God first in everything you know you know what people get funny you know when people get funny in church? People get funny when you talk about money. Oh, I knew it. Gonna visit Timber Creek. Gonna talk, talk about money. All they want is my money. No, Walmart wants your money. Home Depot wants your money. Budweiser wants your money. I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. When I talk about money, when we receive an offering, my salary does not go up or down based on what you give. I have a group of men, deacons, a deacon team. They set my salary based on averages across the nation. They, we, we, we not, I'm not getting an extra thing in my pocket. Woohoo! I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on the offering today. Bless God, because I really had a high electricity bill. <laughs> my, my, my salary doesn't go up or down whether you give a lot or a little today. Okay, so just know I'm your friend here. 
The truth is many people struggle with putting God first in their finances um, because it's one of the biggest gods of this age. It's just one of the biggest gods. Little G, but big. Because we struggle because that's our sense of control and that's our sense of uh, support. That's our sense of resource. And we just are, it's, it's hard. Something we're starting today to help you put God first in your finances. And by putting God first, what that looks like is tithing. Tithing. The word tithe isn't just an offering. The tithe means 10%. And we're doing something we're calling the three-check challenge. You know, God in his scripture says, put me first in everything. Put me first in everything. And he says, hey, bring the tithe to the storehouse, the 10% of your increase, and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven for you. And so we're inviting you, if you've never tried, because you felt like I, I, it's too much risk, we're actually helping you mitigate risk. Not us, because God has promised. We're just helping you understand the promise in regular terms. God has said, test me with the tithe. Test it. Try it. Put it out there. Take it around the lap. Take a, take a lap around. Three-check challenge is your next three checks. Tithe. Not your next 12, not your next 10, not your next 26. Three, next three checks, 10% of your income. Tithe it back into the storehouse. Pay it back, because you're really not giving the tithe, you actually give it back. If, my, if, I, if I cook 10 cookies for my kids, and I place those soft chocolate chip cookies right out there from Nestle House, uh, and I say, here's some cookies, Sage and Graham. They're like, thanks. I said, whoa, 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 before you have them, can I have one of those cookies? How does it make me feel as a dad? I'm like, no, these are our cookies. These are not your cookies. I bought this stuff. I mean, I didn't buy all the ingredients. I bought the square package that's got the square things, and I put them in there, but I heated up the oven, bless God. And I spent my money, and I put them in. Those ain't your cookies. Those are my cookies. I'm just asking for one, and that's exactly what we look like when we say, God, I want all of it. And he's just saying, I'll give you nine. Can I have one cookie so that I can help, so that you can be a partner globally of all the things I want to do through you with that one cookie? One cookie. And we struggle with it. We struggle with it. I invite you, take the three-check challenge. It's there in your seat back pockets, there at NAC, right here in the broadcast location. Whether you do it or not, that's between you and God. I'm not twisting your arm for anything, but I want to promise you, when you put God in the right order, meaning that first, God, everything else after that, his blessings are released in your life. It's true, it's true. So let me, beyond finances, though, ask you this. Financial, relational, physical, career, and look at this, spiritual, that's how many of us operate. Like my, my spiritual life and then my work life. And then, no, 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 cross all that out. This is all spiritual. This is all soul care. What's the next risk I need to take with my relationships? Your next step is you've got to truly look at God and say, I've, I've got to forgive them. I've got to forgive them. You are hanging on. You are drinking poison. You're, you're expecting them to get sick and you're drinking the poison of bitterness. Physical, what's that next step? Career-wise, the word worship and work are the same word in the Bible. Your work is an act of worship. We can sing, waymaker, miracle worker, but the way you worship is showing up on time to work too. Showing up on time, like being a good employee, being a good leader, not being, I don't know, like a jerk. It all matters. Write this down. God won't ask you to risk what you don't have. He's not asking you to tithe on zero. He's not asking you to give 
in a way that you don't have. But here's the deal. He may ask you to risk what you don't want to release. He may risk, he may ask you to risk what you don't, what you are determined to control. So what is it? Is it that marriage? Is it that job? Is it that secret thing that nobody else knows about? And it's controlling. He's inviting you to release that thing and trust him in the middle of it. So here, the rest of the story. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come on, let's go. Let's go. Over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. It is, it's kind of crazy how much the word circumcision has been talked about in church lately. From Timber Creek, if this is your first time, it's not like we talk about it every week. We don't have this crazy fascination with genitalia or anything, I promise. But it's in the Bible, okay? All right? It's in the Bible. But this whole idea, look what Jonathan's doing. He is recognizing that they are under a covenant relationship with God. That Jonathan and the armor bearer are part of a chosen people who have been set apart. They have had the flesh cut away and they have made a promise to God that they're going to be set apart and holy as a gift unto God. And he's recognizing that it's not going to be the armor bearer's big muscles and that one sword that they're sharing between the two of them that's going to get them where they're going. What he's recognizing is the covenant promises of God are strong enough that even though we got one sword and two guys, Batman and and Robin, we're going to go in there and we're going to face somebody who's not holy, who's not set apart, who is wicked, who is evil. And God has defeated the enemy and we're trusting in the promises of God. I'm preaching better than you are responding today. And then the very next scripture is probably the craziest scripture in the entire Bible. Probably the craziest. It probably causes some more people to drift from God than you'd even be surprised. It'd shock you. The next scripture is one of the craziest scriptures. Because here's what Jonathan doesn't say. God showed me in a dream. We're going to take him out. God revealed to me as I was grilling my toast. And it was, a, it was, an, image, it was an image of the Ark of the Covenant right there on the toast. Let's go. Jonathan's next words are scary words for you and me. Crazy words. And people get lopsided with God because of these next words. Jonathan says, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. There are those in the spiritual camp that signs and wonders are left in the Bible and they're missing it. There are also those in the spiritual camp that if you name it hard enough, you claim it hard enough, everything you ask for will be done the way you want it done. Here, God is not moving. He's a statue. Here, God is a slot machine and everything you want, just pull the lever as long as you pray a certain way, as long as you don't have any sin in your heart, as long as you've gotten everything figured out and it's all about your works, it's all about that strong enough faith. He says faith of a mustard seed. So we, it, it, all of it depends on us and really all of it depends on us and it's a dangerous place to live. 
And God invites you into this maybe life, into this perhaps life, into the, I don't know what tomorrow is gonna exactly look like, but I know who holds tomorrow. I don't even know how this is gonna turn out, but I'm trusting in the God, because I know his character, I've seen him before, but it sometimes doesn't turn out the way I thought it would turn out, but that's not gonna change me, get, having a sense of urgency and getting out of the hole and trusting and partnering up and, and, and saying, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Sometimes you gotta go with the faith you have, not with the faith you wish you had. You just, you just, you just go out there, perhaps. And if you fail, you learn a lesson. And if you win, you learn a lesson. Because here's the lesson is not that, uh-oh, perhaps I don't know which side of the, the balancing act I'm gonna fall on. That's not the lesson we're learning here. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And then Jonathan says the most some of the craziest words just then and then some of the most powerful true words now. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Sometimes God shows up in a thunderclap, and other times he shows up in a whisper. And sometimes he hasn't shown up yet. Because you gotta get out of the hole. You gotta take one step forward and partner and say, I'm not gonna stay. I can't stay here anymore. Some of you right now, before the end of this message, you're already feeling it. You're already sensing it. Your next step is to trust God with your heart. You've drifted. You never, you know him, you know about him, but he's not your, he's not your Lord. I'm gonna help you by, by showing you a prayer to pray to get things right in a few moments. I love the armor bearer in this process. Now, if it's me, if I'm the armor Perhaps the Lord will act on my behalf. Armor bearer's gonna say, Jonathan say, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Perhaps? Did I just hear a maybe in there? Because <laughs> I was like out here all ready to go, but you just said, I don't know, and I'm going like, I don't know, what? The armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind, prince. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm with you, heart soul. I'm with you. And it's a maybe. And who knows? It's a fling. But God is faithful. So what does it look like to live with less certainty and more confidence all at the same time? Number four, it looks like trust in the capacity of a limitless God. If you have worry about your own capacity, good news. You live and breathe and have your being because of a limitless God who has breathed his breath into you. He, he is limitless. You can trust him. Do you know what wounds a marriage more than anything? is not an affair. It's the broken trust that comes from an affair. It's the trust that gets damaged. And it's building back the trust that is hard. Because trust says, I'm safe. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, yield to him. And he makes your path straight. He doesn't say, and he makes your path point A, B, C, D, E with no detours and all of it's good. No, there's thorns and there's slippery slopes ahead. 
but trust you're safe. You're safe. And the good news is, everybody, I don't know about you, but I've experienced in my own life, God has a tendency of turning maybes into miracles. He can turn a maybe into a miracle. Nagadochus, I want you to know you are a maybe that became a miracle. Stepping out in faith, celebrating one year birthday last week for the Nacogdoches campus, we stepped out in crazy, scary, not conventional wisdom faith. And God has done something. He turned a maybe into a miracle. And the best is yet to come. And I want you to know, uh, if you're looking for a safe church, this is a safe place where you can find and follow Jesus. But if you're looking for us to be safe, to kind of like, let's just like think about this and make sure we got a good business plan. We're going to dream. We're going to have plans. We got strategy. We got intentionality. But we're going to step out as a church with some crazy, audacious, scary, hairy faith. Going to take the next mountain, going to jump out. And God is looking for a people that says to Jesus, not to a pastor, I'm with you, heart and soul. That's what God's calling from this church. What's God calling you to do? To have less certainty and more confidence than ever before. So Jonathan said, come on then. Come on with it. Let's do it. We're going to cross over toward them. And this is, what? Like I'd be going ninja if I only got two and there's 20 or two and 6,000. But do you hear the stupid strategy here? Come on then. We'll cross over toward them and let them see us. No, no, at the very least, what you do is you, 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 you get on the armor bearer's shoulders and you get a big cloak and you light yourself on fire and you walk, you walk in like a ghost or something. You don't just let them see you. It gets worse. It gets crazier. It gets more audacious. Jonathan, I, I like, I don't know if Jonathan had way too many five hour energies that morning or what. But he's like, he's like strategizing and he's got that crazy, like, <laughs> and at some point, like if I'm in the armor bearer, I'm going, oh, God help us. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what did I just get myself into? Because Jonathan says, okay, look, if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, well, then we'll stay where we are and, and, and not go up to them. And the armor bearer's thinking, so you're going to do exactly what they say to do? Exactly. Okay, oh, I'm with you heart and soul, I think, <laughs> if it's me. But, but if they say, well, come on up to us, <laughs> we will climb up because that will be our sign. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying that the sign is what they say, like if they say, come here, that's the sign of God. If they say, stay there, then that's the sign of God. Yeah, yeah. The Lord has given them into our hands. <laughs> okay. Okay. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. <laughs> this is like, you can't make this up. <laughs> sure enough. Wow. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of them holes and whatnot they were hiding in. The men of the outpost, look at this, shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And I wonder if Jonathan 
when they say, come up to us, if Jonathan goes, <laughs> and he says to his armor bearer, if I'm the armor bearer, Jonathan goes, did you hear that? And if I'm the armor bearer, I'm like, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what they, I'm not for sure what they said right then. <laughs> come on up, and I'll teach you a lesson. Can you imagine Jonathan looking at his armor bearer and saying, let's go. So what happens? So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And sure enough, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Now, 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 now look at this. This is number five. What does it look like? To live with less confidence, less certainty, and more confidence all at the same time? You don't like it, and neither do I, but it looks like vulnerability. It looks like vulnerability. We, have, we so want to be strong with one another that we're never willing to be vulnerable with one another. Vulnerability doesn't mean weak in the knees. It means open heart. That's what real vulnerability looks like. And the, 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 the issue is here, if you ever feel like, well, I can't show them my truth self, I'm gonna tell you like it is. They already see you. Some people think leaders can't, leaders can't show their vulnerability to the people they lead as though you think they don't already see the 17 things that you got issues with. They see it. My team sees my issues and they respect me not more when I hide the issues. They respect me more when I say, I got issues. And there's something about people that you lead when you say, hey, I don't know, perhaps. That there's something that builds because they're, they, they recognize the vulnerability and the trust there. Let me show you what this looks like. Up the slippery or the thorny. I don't know what's going on here. But his, the, the, the Bible says Jonathan is climbing up one of the slippery slopes or the thorny slopes to get to, and the armor bears behind him. Some of you are thinking right now, can he do a one arm push up? <laughs> oh, come on, Jesus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can he do another one? No, no, he can't. It's done. We're over. That's enough. Don't fail me now, arm. I, I have no defense here. I, I, not everything is built the way it's supposed to be. I can't attack. I can't even really see. I don't know what's going on. And God is inviting you to sometimes take on thorny terrain and slippery terrain and say, can you trust me and be vulnerable? Because when we are able to come to a place of vulnerability, it's like, it's, it's, it's like that. It's, it's like that clay on the potter's will. Vulnerability gives us moldability. And when you're not allowed to be placed on the potter's will of God and let his hands shape and form you, you become a vessel, but it's not quite the way God intends. And it requires a, a willingness to be exposed, a willingness to be vulnerable. And as Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up and faced these men, 
The Bible says that in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. That's a bloody battle. It was a step of urgency. It was the carving out of a nation that God had had his hand upon. And this is what happens next. Then, then, panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. They stepped out with no guarantees. Then God shakes the ground. And I think there's something the author wants us to know here. I think there's something powerful about the definition here of the ground shook. Because if you remember earlier in the story, Saul is under the pomegranate tree and he's with his men and the Bible says they quaked with fear. They were so afraid, it was like they were like the earth shaking. And yet they stepped out in faith, a maybe 50-50 chance faith. They took the first step and then God shakes the, the ground. He stabilizes their faith and he shakes the ground. And what ends up happening is the enemy kills each other. They get scared, they start killing each other. It's a, it's a wild, crazy story. My last question for you is this. What if the God I'm waiting on is waiting on me? You're mad at God because he hasn't shown up yet, but what if he's waiting on you to take that next step? I want you to know that him waiting on you doesn't mean that you take the first step. You will never take the first step with God. While you were still sinners, he took the first step. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, he took a step. He knew the Lamb of God was going to be slain. He would send his son from heaven to earth to show you he knows what you go through when you go through the nasty, crazy junk of life because Jesus went through it too. He already took the first step. So now God may be waiting on you to step out and sense that urgency and say, okay, God, I know it looks bad. I, I know I, I, I have the potential of being bitten here, but I'm gonna step out and try and reconcile. I'm gonna step out and try and restore. I'm gonna step out in, in faith. What if the God you're waiting on is waiting on you? The good news is, <laughs> he doesn't wait far away. He's with us. He's right here right now, ready to meet you right now. Hey, last question, who am I in the story? Like, I know all of us, like what I wanna be, I wanna be Jonathan, you know, like, ah, let's go take the next mountain, slippery, thorny, I don't care, cut, stitches, go. I want to be Jonathan, going sorrow on the Philistines. I want to be Jonathan. But do you know who I tend to be more like? Saul, comfortable, access to God and ignoring it. I tend to be Saul. The deal is you ain't Jonathan either. You ain't Jonathan. Jesus is Jonathan. 
Jesus invites you to follow him. He steps out of anonymity in a little town called Bethlehem in Nazareth. And he lives a perfect life and he says, come on, let's go. And he goes through all the thorns for you. He is vulnerable, naked on a cross for you. To give you the opportunity to wake up one morning and know that Jesus is leading you and to be able to take everything he's given you, the gifts he's given you, and to take them and be a good steward of them. Because he's fighting the battle, I'm just following him. You and I are armor bearers, everybody. And the words that Jesus is inviting us to say to him today, go ahead, Jesus. Do all that you have in mind, Jesus. I'm with you, heart and soul, because he's the prince. And he's not just the prince, he's the king. And you can trust him. He knows what you need when you need it. And when you don't have the certainty, you can be confident that you will see the goodness of the Lord. Online, every location, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Oh, he loves you. He's crazy about you. But he also will not force himself upon you. And sin is what separates us from him. And sin is not an activity as much as it is the authority you reject. Many of us have to grapple with the reality that we wanna be kings of our heart. We wanna be the queen of our heart. God says, let me be king. That's what a surrendered heart looks like. Let him be king. So if you're listening today on this particular Sunday or you're listening back a few weeks from now, Jesus loves you. He sees you. He's not mad at you. And if today you need to surrender to him, to say, go ahead, Lord, do all that you have in mind. Wash me clean. I wanna be with you heart and soul. I don't even know what to do next. If that's you, wherever you are, you say, I need to invite Jesus into my life today. If that's you, all locations with no hesitation, just put a hand right up in the air. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Right up in the air. Yeah. yeah. Several hands here at the broadcast location. I know hands in the Nacogdoches location. He sees you and he loves you. In your own words, you'd say, Jesus, I want to step out and trust you now. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for not being mad at me for loving me so much. You gave me this moment to make things right with you. I cannot fix my sin, but you can wash it away. And I ask you to do that today. Help me with next steps to put you first in everything. Now, eyes closed, heads still bowed. This is not a prayer of salvation, but this is a prayer of Jesus, help me because you feel under-resourced or overwhelmed or afraid or uncertain and you wanna trust again in the name of the God of the ages, but you've been struggling in this particular area. No matter what it is for you, it's different from the person next to you, but if that's you, just with an honesty, just put a hand up in the air, I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah, me too, everybody. Me too, I'm with you. And so God, together, not just a pastor praying over them, but us praying for one another and just an act of surrender. We all need to step out and trust you more. 
And so God, whatever that next step is, we put you first. We put you first. Thank you for being with us and promising to never leave us or forsake us. Into your hands, we commit our future. Into your hands, we commit our spouse. Into your hands, we commit our kids. Into your hands, we commit our finance. Ultimately, into your hands, just as you did, Jesus, we commit our spirit. Have your way in us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody everywhere said amen.